Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Lahu alhamdul hasan Wathanau aljameel Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallah Wahdahu la sharika lah Wa ashadu anna sayyidina wa nabiyyana Muhammad Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi Wa tabi'ina lahum bihsanin ila yawmiddin Amma ba'd Wa inna sharah of the kitab Risalatul Latifah By al-Sheikh al-Allama Abdurrahman Nasir al-Sa'di rahimahullah um, What we did last week is that we spoke about the dalalat uh, that the author rahimahullah mentioned uh, we were specifically at uh, the we finished the mafhum and we broke the mafhum into two types we said there is a mafhum which is al mafhum al muwafaqah and we also said there is a mafhum al mukhalafa and we broke the uh, mafhum al muwafaqah into two we broke it into two we said one is known as Lahnul Khitab and another one is known as Fahul Khitab. Lahnul Khitab, we said it is the mafhum which is Musawil Lil Mamtuq. And the Fahul Khitab, we said, is the mafhum Al Muwafaqa which is Aula, is more befitting than the Mamtuq. That's what we said. We also spoke about the mafhum Al Mukhalafa. We discussed. And we spoke about the mafhum al-mukhalafa. And in the mafhum al-mukhalafa, we uh, mentioned that some of the scholars, they refer to it as dalil al-khitab. And we divided that into two, the mafhum al-mukhalafa. We divided it uh, into two. Uh, mafhum al-mukhalafa, which is sharp, and that which is a sifa. And we gave an example for both. Now, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to go into, bi-ibnillah al-kareem, the uh, mantuq. We're now going to go into the uh, mantuq. The ulama, they divide the mantuq into two. So pay attention here, inshallah ta'ala. So today's class, we're going to be speaking about al-mantuq. The scholars, they divide the mantuq into two. Mantuq, which is sarih, and a mantuq, which is ghayru sarih. Um, Al-Mantuq, again, what we, we've, we've already spoken about Al-Mantuq. We already know what Al-Mantuq is. I'm not going to have to repeat it in this class. The difference between Al-Mantuq and Al-Mafhum, I've already spoken about it last week. So I'm not going to have to repeat it in this class again. The Mantuq, there's a type called Sarih, and there's a type called Ghayru Sarih. The Mantuq, which is Sarih, is direct according to the Usuliyin. They divide the sarih into three. No, no, they divide it into two. Al-Mutabaqah and they say At-Tadammun. So the Mantuq, the ulama, they divide it into two types. The mantuq, sarih and ghayru sarih, direct and indirect. The direct is al-mutabaqah and al-tadammun. Al-mutabaqah and al-tadammun. What does al-mutabaqah mean? And what does al-tadammun mean? We're going to take it, don't worry, inshallah ta'ala. Then there is the, um, the ghayru sarih, which is the indirect one. This is al-iltizam. 
الالتزام the mantuq which is ghayr sarih is indirect and this is iltizam and the scholars they divide this one into uh, three dalalatu al-ishara dalalatu al-iqtida' and dalalatu al-ima' al-ima' these three they're discussed in the uh, big books of Usul al-Fiqh, yani Sharh al-Kawqub al-Munir and other books, they discuss this. So we're not going to do this. This is, this is found in the Mutawwalat, the very uh, detailed books. All we're going to speak about is Al-Iltizam, Al-Tadammun, and Al-Mutabaqa. What do these three mean? Because the author mentioned it. Sheikh Abdurrahman Nasir Sa'diyu mentioned it. Okay? Last week, we spoke about المفهوم, the mafhum and the types of mafhum uh, and etc. We spoke about that, okay? The mafhum. And today, inshallah ta'ala, we're speaking about al-mantuq. And I know, I'm sure you guys understand what al-mantuq is. Because we took that last week. The mantuq is two types. Sarih, which is direct. And the mantuq, which is ghayru sarih. It's indirect. And the sarih is two types. Al-mutabaqa and al-tadammun. And غَيْرُ صَرِيحِ is the iltizam. It is what? The iltizam. Now, I need something from you all. Get the, your, the book out, inshallah ta'ala, and we read it together. Because the author, rahimahullah, defined the dalalatu al-mutabaqa, and the dalalatu al-tadammun, and dalalatu al-iltizam. The author, rahimahullah, al-allama, Abdurrahman Nasir Sa'diyu, he gave an example for, he gave an explanation for each one. And I'm going to explain it the first one is Dalalatul Mutabaka. Dalalatu al Mutabaka. He said, Ida Tabakna Lafza ala Jamil Ma'na. So an example for Dalalatul Mutabaka. I'm gonna give you guys an example, uh, an understandable example, and then inshallah ta'ala, I'm going to um uh once I give the example, um, I'm going to give you the example from the religion. But I'm going to give you a worldly example. The word house. So you hear the word house. The word house. When you think about a house, when you think about house, What is it that comes to mind? The word house. The thing that comes to mind is a roof, windows, door, okay? Um, and etc. Those all come to mind. That's what the word house means. So all of that together is what defines what a house is. That's called Dalalatul Mutabaka. That's called what? Dalalatul Mutabaka. You say a word, and everything that word carries is in there and it's understood from it. That's called Dalalatul Mutabaka. And that's what the author said, When we apply on that word all of its meaning, that's called Dalalatul Mutabaka. Dalalatul Tadammun, on the other hand, 
is when you take a part of that word. For example, if I now say door. Door is a part of a house. Tadammun. You've taken, uh, إذا, the author mentions it here, We take a part of the meaning that's in the word. So the word house, inside a house is a door. That's called Dalalatu At-Tadammun. Dalalatul Iltizam is what? Dalalatul Iltizam is, I see a house that has a windows, has locks, has a chimney, has a roof, has doors. I know it was created. Someone made it. It was created. It was fu- somebody made this. That's called dalalatul iltizam. It necessitates it that this house was made. How did these windows come about? How did, did this door come about? How did these chimney and everything come about? We've necessitated from the word house that there was a maker of this house. Does that make sense? Are we all together? I'll give you an example. Uh, I'll give you an example of a religious issue. Okay? This was a worldly issue. Sahih. A practical example that you can all relate to. We have the name... Uh, Al-Khaliq. We have the name Al-Khaliq. We have the name Al-Khaliq. This word Al-Khaliq, if we do Al-Mutabaqa, which is, we apply this word in all of its meaning, it carries two meanings. That and Asifa. That and asifa. That means an essence. Asifa means a, a description, an attribute. So we know this al-khaliq refers to a that, an existing one. That's that. And we also know that there's a characteristic in here as well, which is what? Khalq, uh, creating. Creating. When you say al-mutabaqa, you take those two meanings with it. That's mutabaqa. At-tadammun means when you choose to take one of them. You choose one, you take one, and you leave the other one. So you say sifa. Ah. Are we all together? You take the sifa, and you leave the, uh, the other thing. Just like we did with the house. We only took the door, uh, which was part of the house. So the sifa is part, sifatul khalq is part of al-khaliq. Al-iltizam is what? Al-iltizam is, if I now look at this word al-khaliq, what does it necessitate if a person wants to be a creator? What it necessitates is two, two other characteristics. It necessitates two other characteristics. Ilm. It necessitates ilm, knowledge, and qudrah, ability. It also necessitates irada. So if I... Um, knowledge. 
If a person is a khaliq, he's a creator, he has to know how to create. صحيح. He has to have the ability to create. And he has to have the will to want to create. Are we all together? These three have to be in place in order to be called a khaliq. These three, they came about by way of al-iltizam. By way of iltizam. Okay? That's how it came about. So anyways, this is also how you can benefit from the Qur'anic discourse. How you can benefit from the Qur'an. When you look at dalalatu al-iltizam, dalalatu al-tadammun, dalalatu al-mutabaqa, it helps you to benefit from the Qur'an when you read it. Is it sarih? Is it mutabaqa? Is it tadammun? Is it iltizam? And etc. Are we all together? Am I making sense to all of you guys? Am I making sense? Is everybody with me? Am I I'm making sense, right? Alhamdulillah. 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 Dalalatul iltizam. Can I explain that? Yes, I can. Dalalatul iltizam, it means what's necessitated from the mutabaqa. The mutabaqa, what is necessitated from it is called iltizam. For example, we said the word al-khaliq, it means an existing one and a characteristics. The existing is that al-khaliq means the creator. So it's, it's talking about one that exists, which is Allah. And it also refers to the characteristics of creating. Okay? Those two together is called mutabaqa. Together. Taking one is tadammun. If you take one and you leave the other one, it's called tadammun. If you look at the word al-khaliq and you ponder on it and you contemplate on it, you realize in order for Allah to be a khaliq, he has to have ilm, which he does. He also has to have al-qudra wal-irada. He has to have the ability and also the will to want to create. A person might have the knowledge of something, but not want to do it. I have a knowledge of something, but I don't want to do it. Or I have the knowledge and the ability, and I have the will. So I want, okay, I might have the will to do something, but not the knowledge. I won't be able to do it. So we know that if Allah is referred to as Al-Khaliq, He has to have, have ilm, knowledge to create. He has to have the ability to create. And He has to have the will to create. Those are iltizam. We've necessitated it from the. Uh, uh, we've yeah, necessitated it from the word al uh, khaliq. Okay. We've necessitated it from it. Now I, I want to speak about something very important. As you can see, what I keep saying is that we've these three we've necessitated it from the word al khaliq. Okay, I want you to remember this is very important. Very important, and it's a masala jiddan. It's a very big issue. It's very big. 
Dalalatul iltizam is only applied for the Quran and the Sunnah. The Quran and the Sunnah is the only one we use Dalalatul iltizam. Dalalatul iltizam cannot be used for the statements of the Bashar. The statements of the humans, we cannot use Dalalatul iltizam. We can't necessitate from someone's speech something and say, This is what you said. We can't. This is important that we understand this. Sheikh Al-Allama, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih Al-Uthaymin, who is the student of Sheikh Abdurrahman Nasr Al-Sa'di, in his kitab, Al-Qawa'id Al-Muthla, Fi Asma'illahi Al-Husna, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih Al-Uthaymin, when he was talking about the names of Allah and the attributes, you see the word Al-Khaliq is the name of Allah, and it has the attributes in there. When he was talking about Dalalatul Mutabaq, and Dalalatul Tadammun, and Dalalatul Iltizam, he brought about a very important qa'idah, which is, the iltizam, what you necessitate from someone's speech, is not what you are allowed to attribute to that person unless he or she says, I meant that. Okay? I meant that. For example, for example, we know a person who has been drinking alcohol for 40 years. And 40 years, 40 years, this person has been consuming, has been having alcohol. Okay? And they were having alcohol publicly. They were having it in public. They were drinking it publicly. They didn't care who was there. Okay? They also consumed the alcohol even on their deathbed. Nani. They, whilst they're dying, they're passing away, they've got the alcohol in their hand and they, they are what? They're drinking it, they're sipping it, and they're on their last moments in this world. Now, someone can look at that and say to himself, you know what? This person drinking alcohol for 40 years, publicly drinking it, and not what, careless about what the people have to say, not even embarrassed, not even ashamed. Also, drinking on his deathbed, knowing that he's going to die. This person only did that because he believed that the alcohol was halal. And because he believed the alcohol was halal, he's not a Muslim. And so that reason we're going to consider this person as to be a what? A disbeliever. Now, this person didn't say that they believe the alcohol to be halal. This person never said it. He never uttered those words. It is not mutabaqa wa tadammun. There's no speech of his where you can get it, which is sarih, clear. You got it from a speech, which is ghayru sarih, which is iltizam. You necessitated, you necessitated, from his actions that he believes is halal and this is where many groups fell short in the religion they labeled a group of people either kufar or they refer to them as innovators an innovator you're a mubtadi' or you're a kafir why dalala which is ghayru sarih the dalala here is not it's ghayru sarih it's not clear it was a dalala uh, which is غير صريح, which is التزام. 
ولذلك الشيخ ابن عثيمين هي منشن قاعدة وتشيز لازم المذهب لازم المذهب ليس بلازم حتى يلتزم به صاحبه that you necessitate from someone's speech something is not a methodology for a person it's not the person's belief unless they say yes that's what I meant for example for example the, we have a group known as in Islam um, we know a group known as the Al-Sha'ira the Al-Sha'ira Al-Sha'ira from the 72 that are going to go to the hellfire that's what they are as a group they are from the deviated group okay they are not from the saved sect they are from the deviated group okay ponder here now the asha'ira the asha'ira they negate they negate some of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's characteristics yani sifatullahi some of Allah's characteristics they negate it they say this characteristics is not for example sifatu al-ulu that Allah ta'ala is above his throne ar-rahmanu ala al-arsh istawa Allah is istiwa The characteristics of istiwa, they negate it. Can we then say their negating of this characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the other characteristics necessitates that they are worshipping a God who is deficient and they believe God is deficient. And because they believe God is deficient from these characteristics, they are non-Muslims. Can we say all of that? That is iltizam, you're necessitating it from their speech. Okay, you're necessitating all of that chain from their speech because what they are going to say to you is that I do not believe that I am stripping from Allah His completeness, if that's even a word. Uh, I am not. So, what we say is that they are deviated, they are not from the uh, groups that are going to, they're not going to be from the saved group, but they are also not disbelievers. Yani their negating of this characteristics of Allah does not make them a disbeliever. So, summarize the issue of al-iltizam. Necessitating is not applied for the human being. We don't use that for humans. We only use that for who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam. So, dalalatul iltizam, the scholars they mentioned, is restricted to the, the kitab and the sunnah. Okay, it's used for what? The kitab and the sunnah. As for the human beings, we deal with them which we deal with them based on uh, we deal with them based on dalala mantuq which is sarih this type sarih it has to be al tadammun the dalalatul iltizam is when the person says yes i didn't mean that what you've just necessitated from my speech i meant that if he says that then it becomes uh, the ruling that is applied on that person okay So if the person 
who is an alcoholic does tawbah before he dies, does it still take the ruling of Dalalatul Tizam? No, no, no. If the person repents, it's like he never did it in his life. Uh, in, in our religion, The one who repents from a sin, it's like he's never ever done it in his life. It's like he's never ever done this sin before. Like this sin doesn't exist. Um, now we're going to go into the next chapter, inshallah ta'ala, which is, um, the, the author says, Usul ilayha al-faqih. We're going to go into foundations which the person is in great need of. Okay? And today we're going to do that, inshallah ta'ala, bi-idhnillahi al-kareem. We're going to do that this chapter. I'm going to hopefully try to finish this chapter today, inshallah ta'ala. So, Al-Asru fi awamil al-kitabi wa sunnah the author mentioned here that the default position, the default position for the awamir, the commandments that are in the kitab, in the Quran, and in the sunnah, the commandments that we find in the Quran and the sunnah, the default position is that it's obligatory. And if you find Allah commanding you to do something in the Quran, or you see the Prophet ﷺ commanding you to do something in the Sunnah, this command, default position is that it's obligatory. Okay? It is Nahalil Wujub. Are we all together? And there are evidences uh, for that. Qawluhu ta'ala, the statement of Allah, فَلْيَحْذَنِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَنْ تُصِيبَهُمْ فِتْنَةً the ayah clearly says فليحذر, Let them be um, cautious Those people Those who are opposing the Prophet's command They're going against the Prophet's command So going against the Prophet's command is a what? It's a fitna Or it's a severe punishment of the hellfire Are we all together? This is important that we understand this let them be uh, cautious. Those people who are opposing the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're opposing the commandments of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're also opposing the commandments of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You're going to go through trials and tribulations. Or you're going to receive a severe punishment. This ayah shows that the commands that come from Allah and His Messenger, both of them show obligation. And you have to do it. And from this ayah, the uh, ulama, they use this ayah to say that the commandments are, the default position is that it's obligatory. Imam Al-Qurtubi said in his tafsir, from this verse, the jurists, they use this verse that the commands that are found in the Quran and the Sunnah both show obligation. That's the ayah that the scholars, scholars used. The second ayah that the scholars used is um, After Allah and his messenger have given a command in an issue after Allah commanded something or the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam commanded something 
there is no choice for anyone whatsoever. That you have no choice. After Allah and His Messenger gave a command in an issue. And then this ayah shows that the commands from Allah and His Messenger is obligatory. It shows that. Al-Imam Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti, he said in his mudakirah, he said, فَإِنَّهُ جَعَلَ أَمْرَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ مَانِعًا مِنَ الْإِخْتِيَارِ وَذَلِكَ دَلِيلُ الْوُجُوبِ This ayah is showing that once Allah and His Messenger give a command, you have been stripped from saying, I don't want this. I don't feel this. You don't have no choice. And it shows that, it <coughs> and it shows that it's obligatory, that you must do it. The Prophet also said, If I didn't fear for my ummah, I would have commanded them. Every salah I would have commanded them to do siwak. Um, that's what the Messenger said. If I did not fear for my ummah, I would have commanded them. So, if he commands, it's obligatory. But he fears for the ummah. Showing you that his command والسلام, is obligatory. It must be done. Now, does every command that comes in the Quran and the Sunnah, does it show obligation? The author here is saying to you, Al-Asru fi awamil al-kitabi wa sunnah annaha lil-wujub illa idha dalla al-dalilu ala al-istihbab. That the commands that are found in the Quran and the Sunnah show obligation. Illa idha dalla al-dalilu ala al-istihbab. Unless there comes an external text that diverts it from that obligation. Yani Allah commanded something, the messenger commanded something, but then another text comes and it diverts it from that obligation. It diverts it. An example for that. An example for that is when the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam he commanded the companions to pray. Um, he said, Sallu ba'd al-isha. I think he said, alayhi salatu salam. He said, pray after Isha or before Isha, something like that. He said, pray, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He commanded the sahabas. Um, he said, pray, either بعد Isha or قبل Isha, before one of the two. And he said it three times, alayhi salatu wasalam. This now was, it shows that it's obligatory. This shows that it's obligatory because the Prophet is commanding the companions, pray, pray, pray. He's saying it three times. But then guess what he did, alayhi salatu wasalam. He said after that, Liman Shah, whoever wants. Now, whoever wants changed it from obligation. And when the Prophet commanded the companions and he said to them, Pray, 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 pray three times, it, it's obligatory. We had to have prayed. But then he came and he said, Liman Shah, whoever wills. Whoever wills is called a Qarina. Or is also called a what? Sarif. It's also Qarina or Sarif, whichever you want to call it. What does a qarina or a sarif mean? It means it diverts it. It pushes it away from the obligation. Because the Prophet now gave us a choice. And what, we, what did we just take now? That the commandments of Allah and His Messenger, that are obligatory, we have no choice. You have no choice after Allah and His Messenger give a command. But if you're then given a choice, it means it's not obligatory. You don't have to do it. That's one. That's when it shows that it's recommended to do it. And if the Prophet says something, he commands something, and then he gives you a choice, or something like that, it shows that it's recommended. It drops lower than wajib, and it drops to what? Al-istihbab. You can't say it's mubah. No, 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 you don't say mubah. You say istihbab. You say what? 
istihbab. You say it's recommended because it dropped one level down. Okay. Or sometimes the commands that come can actually show ibaha. There's another type. A command comes and it drops to ibaha. For example, قوله تعالى وَإِذَا حَلَلْتُمْ فَاسْتَادُوا When Allah Taala said in Hajj, Allah Taala said وَإِذَا حَلَلْ وَإِذَا حَلَلْتُمْ فَاسْتَادُوا Allah Taala He said فَاسْتَادُوا وَإِذَا حَلَلْتُمْ when you guys are in Hajj, Allah Taala said, "Wa halaltum." Once you clear yourself from the state of ihram, you take off your ihram. Your Hajj is over. Allah Taala He said, "Fastadu." Allah Taala commanded the Sahabas to do what? He commanded them to do istiyad. Istiyad is to hunt. The word "fastadu." What does it show us? "Fastadu" shows us it's a command. It's an amr. So does that mean when the people finished Hajj, they have to go and hunt? Is it a must? Do they have to hunt? Now here is another thing, which is, if a command, a amar, if a command, okay, comes after a prohibition. So a command comes after prohibition. A, ca- a command, this is the command, it came after a prohibition. The prohibition was what? The Sahabas were prohibited from doing hunting. Yeah, well, they were prohibited from it. Allah Taala said to them, you can't do hunting. Because Allah Taala, what did he say in the ayah? Do not kill the livestock whilst you're in a state of ihram. They were muharram. Then a command came after the muhatahrim. That prohibition a command came for them, which is what? Fastadu, go and hunt. The scholars, they say, a command af- comes after a prohibition, takes it back to what it used to be. Are we all together? It takes this thing back to what it used to be, the hunting. The command came after a prohibition. Before the prohibition, what was it before? What was the hunting? It was mubah. You can do it if you want to. The hunting before the prohibition was mubah. If you wanted to hunt, you can. And if you want, you, you didn't have to. After it being mubah, it got prohibited. For, for a period of time, which is hajj. It was prohibited. And then Allah Taala commanded us to go and hunt. This command takes it back to what? It takes it back to what it used to be. Okay? Some scholars, they say it takes it back to ibaha. Don't say that. Because sometimes it can take it back to istihbab, recommendation. So that's why I'm saying it takes it back to whatever it used to be. If, they, if it was mubah, it takes it back to mubah. And if it was recommended, it takes it back to recommended. Okay? Are we all together? Okay. وَإِذَا حَلَلْتُمْ فَاسْتَادُوا That's what it is, for example. Another example for this is يَا إِلَّذِينَ عَمَنُوا إِذَا نُودِيَ لِلصَّلَاةِ مِنْ يَوْمِ الْجُمُعَاتِ فَاسْعَوْا إِلَى ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَذَرُوا الْبَيْعِ وَذَرُوا الْبَيْعِ is a prohibition. The Sahabas have been prohibited from buying and selling. For this time of Jum'ah, Salatul Jum'ah, they told you can't buy and sell. And then look what Allah Taala He said: "فَإِذَا قُضِيَتِ الصَّلَاةُ فَانْتَشِرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَبَتَوْهُمْ مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ فَانْتَشِرُوا Go and look for the light. Go and look for your rizq. 
Does that mean they're not allowed to stay in the masjid? Yani, are they forced to leave the masjid? Are they going to be told, get up, you have to leave the masjid because Allah commanded you to go and look for your provision. Uh, you can't wait for Asr, for example, after praying Jum'ah. No, what we say is that the command here is what it used to be before. Okay? It takes it back to what it was before. What it used to be before. That's important to understand, okay? Like in the asal is that al wujub. The asal is that there is that the amr shows the default position is that amr shows obligation. That the amr shows obligation. That's the default position. It can show recommendation if the person is being given a choice. It can also become recommendation that if there's a prohibition, sorry, if there's a command that comes after a prohibition. And it used to be mubah, sorry, it used to be istihbab, it was recommended, it takes it back to what it was. Another example, another one is, sometimes the command can be seen as ibaha. So this way, the halatum fastadu, fastadu, we say, amrun, it's a command, lil ibaha. We don't say lil wujub. We say this uh, command is mubah. How do we know it's mubah? Because it's a command after a prohibition. Okay? Another thing I want to say is that the commands are not taken from the Prophet's actions. And the Prophet's mere action does not make something uh, wajib. And not, the mere doing of the Prophet alone does not show obligation. Obligation is taken from a statement. It's taken from what? It's taken from a statement. Okay? The reason is because the Prophet's actions are divided into so much. Things that he did out of uh, culture, things which he did out of you know, his natural mindset, his natural way, alayhi salatu Okay? If you look at the books of Usulul Fiqh, they mainly deal with the wordings, al-fadh, al-kalam. You see, the chapters in al-af'al, actions of the Prophet, are very little chapters. They're not big. The big chapters are all to do with the wordings of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. وَلِذَلِكَ, <clears throat> ولذلِكَ um, The Prophet وسلم, praying the Salah did not make it obligatory. When somebody asks you, what's your evidence that Salah is obligatory? You don't say, because the Prophet prayed. That's a weak delil for you. You have to say, Allah Taala said, وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَىٰ Allah commanded and you can also say the Prophet said, If the Prophet's actions alone were obligatory, the Prophet could have just stood up and prayed, and he wouldn't have said to his companions, Pray the way you see me pray. The reason why he said to them, Pray the way you see me pray, is because it makes it obligatory. Okay? The same with Hajj. He said to Sahabas, Take your Hajj from me. His actions are not. Um, uh, are not uh, they are not, what's he called, uh, obligatory. But what is obligatory is his statements, alayhi salatu salam. Walidhalika, as a side benefit, scholars, they discussed a, a very important issue, which is when the Prophet, sallallahu went and prayed, when he said to his sahabas, pray the way you see me pray, does everything he did in that prayer, is it show that it was obligatory? Some scholars, they said, Everything he did in those prayers, some of them are obligatory, and some of them are sunan, and some. Of them, how? How do you know they're sunan? They compared it to the hadithul musi'u salatahu, the prayer of the one that the prophet was verbally teaching. Am I making sense here? There was a man who came into the masjid. 
he didn't pray properly and uh, he came to the Prophet, he greeted him, the Prophet, he said to the Prophet, Assalamu alaikum. The Prophet said, Irja' fasalli fa inna kalam tusalli, go back and pray. You haven't prayed. The man went back and the Prophet kept saying to Salli fa inna kalam tusalli, Irja' fasalli fa inna kalam tusalli, until the man said to the Prophet, alayhi salatu salam, Ya Rasulullah, wallahi la uhsinu ghayra hadha fa'alimni. He said, Well, ladybi'ataka bil haqi nabiya, ma uhsinu ghayra hadha fa'alimni. I can't perfect my prayer. This is all I know, teach me. The Prophet stood up and he told him what to do. So some of the scholars, they said, we see a slight discrepancy between what the Prophet prayed in some situations and what he had said to the man who he was teaching. And they gave weight to what he said to the Sahabi. Are we all together, brothers and sisters? Whatever he commanded him to do, they say it's wajib. And whatever he didn't command him in that prayer is thrown into that which is sunan. Am I making sense? So this shows us the concept of actions and speech. Um, the author then says, well, nawahi. The asal, the default position of the Prophet's prohibitions, when the Prophet prohibits something, is tahrim, that is haram. If the Prophet prohibits us from something, or Allah prohibits us from something, it shows that it's haram. What's the delete for that? Whatever he prohibits you from, stay away from. Meaning it's haram, you can't do it. So there are, if someone asks you, does the Prophet and Allah and, his, Allah and His Messenger, what they command us, does it show obligation? You say yes. What's the evidence for that? If someone says to you, okay, <clears throat> whatever the Prophet prohibits us from, is it haram? You say yes. It is haram. What's the evidence for that? But, just like we said about the commands, there can be a qarina, a sarif, that turns away the prohibition from haram to karaha, disliked. Okay? It can be. There are things that can turn it away from it being haram. Naam. Now we're going to go into Wal-Aslu fil Kalami. So we finished the default position for the Amr, and we've taken the default position for the um, Nahi, the prohibition. Now, if someone says, Oh, I see a command here, it shows obligation, he's never questioned, What's his, how, how, Why did you say this is wajib? He's just going to say, Because I see a command here. The one who says, No, it's not obligatory. It's recommended, he has to bring his evidence. That's why I always say to you, brothers and sisters, the statement where we always say, Al-Aslu, when you hear the word Al-Aslu means the default position. If you always memorize what's the default position, the default position is never questioned. What's questioned is other than the default position. The default position is that the commands in the Quran and the Sunnah are obligatory. Yani that's the Asl. That's the default position. Anyone who says otherwise, Ulhatu burhanakum in kuntum sadiqeen. Bring your proof if you're truthful. Bring your what? Bring your proof if you're. Uh, bring your proof if you're truthful. Okay. Same applies with the prohibitions. The default position is that the prohibitions are haram. The prohibitions are haram. That's the default position. Anyone who comes and says no, it's makruh, it's makruh, will say to you, okay, what's the evidence that it's makruh? Where is the evidence? It's makruh. 
and the evidences are not the statements of scholars. You have to understand, the evidence is the Quran and the Sunnah and Ijma'ah. Okay? Now, the author goes into something very important, which is, وَالْأَصْرُ فِي kalam. We're now going to go to another important issue, which is, what is the default position when it comes to speech? Yeah, and we find the Quran and the Sunnah speaking to us. What's the default position? The, the author, rahimahullah, here, he says, وَالْأَصْلُ فِي الْكَلَامِ الْحَقِيقَةِ The Qur'an and the Sunnah, the default position for it is that it's literal. It is haqiqa. Haqiqa means that this word is in line of what it was placed for. Yeah, and this word carries the meaning that it's known for. Like the word asad, the literal meaning for asad, or the word lion in English, is a haywanun muftaris. It's the severe animal. The king of the jungle. And when you hear the word Asad, حَقِيقَةً it means that animal, that four-legged animal that owns the jungle, runs the jungle, and he's dangerous, we wouldn't come close to him. That's, what, that's the asal. So if someone says to you, I saw a lion, and, and then he says to you, uh, he just says to you, I saw a lion, and nothing more than that. And you understand it as حَيْوَانٌ muftaris, the severe, dangerous animal. And then he goes to you, but I didn't mean that. You're going to be like, why? How do I know you didn't mean that? How do I know you did not mean that? Are we all together? How do I know you didn't mean that? So the person, in order for you to understand it to be other than the lion, he has to come with a karina, a sarif. For example, he has to say, for example, I saw a lion uh, given khutbah. Now, in your mind, you already know that a lion can't give a khutbah. And that's not what a lion does. Lions don't give khutbah. So automatically, I'm going to understand it as a brave person, maybe. Are we all together? This statement of yours, يَخْطُبُ Giving khutbah is called a qarina amasarif. It diverted it from its or default position. Are we all together? So when we have discussions with deviated groups like the Asha'ir and everything, and they come to the hand of Allah mentioned in a verse, and they say, this is not literal. Hey, what is it? It's metaphorical. It means ability. It means blessings. We say you're turning away from the haqiqah and you're going to majaz. What's your delete for that? الكلامي, the default position for speech is that it's literal. Haqiqah. How did you leave the kalam from haqiqah to majaz? Give me your delete. I'll take it from you. If you don't give it to me, let's leave it at its default position. Unless there's a sarif or a karina. Does that make sense? Ah, that's important. That is important that you understand that point. Well, many of the deviated groups, that's where they, were, they fell short in. They go into majaz and they leave in haqiqah. Well, even if you look at our discussions today, if someone was talking all day and all of these words were just majaz, it's, it doesn't make sense. You'll say, everything's metaphorical, you're saying. There's no literal meaning in it. And there is nobody who listens to another person and says to them, everything you said, I understood it as metaphorical. No. Humans automatically go to the haqiqah, and then when they see a play of word or something, they understand it's majaz. Are we all together? So the asal for every one of us is al-haqiqah. فَلَا يُعْدَلُوا بِهِ إِلَى الْمَجَازِ إِنْ قُلْنَا بِهِ إِلَّا تَعَذَّرَتِ الْحَقِيقَةِ the author said something, Sa'di here. He said that this default position for the speech is haqiqah, literal. And we don't go to majaz. And then the Shaykh, rahimahullah, he done a jumla, a jumla 
which the scholars they call Jumla Itiradiya. He brought a sentence that doesn't really have, um, uh, uh, it doesn't, it's not part of the sentence, which is, he went off by saying, in if we say there is a majaz. So there is an opinion out there basically, according to some scholars, that in the Quran and the Sunnah, everything is literal. Whatever you read in the Quran is literal. And majaz doesn't exist. And those scholars are two noble imams, Al-Allama, Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqitiyu, and none other than Shaykh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah. Ibn Taymiyyah held the opinion that there is no majaz in the Quran and the Sunnah. Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqitiyu also held the opinion. Amin Al-Shanqitiyu went on to go into even a step further, and he said there is not even majaz in the Arabic language. Everything you see is literal. Ajib. And Amin Al-Shanqitiyu wrote a book on this issue. Rahimahullah ta'ala. Lakin al-allama Muhammad, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he has another opinion as well, ibn Taymiyyah, two opinions of his we have when it comes to the concept of majaz. And I hold the opinion that there is majaz in the Quran. I hold the opinion there is majaz in the Quran. Lakin, as I said, there's majaz in the Quran when there's a karina. There's a karina. Without a karina, it's not majaz, haqiqah. Okay? The argument of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and al-Allama Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqitiyu is if someone speaks majaz, this is their strongest argument. They've got many points which are strong, but their strongest argument is that if a person um, speaks majaz, you can actually dismiss their speech. And if somebody says to you, I saw a lion giving khutbah, you can say, yeah, you didn't see a lion giving khutbah. You saw a brave person giving khutbah. And they said, if you say there's majaz in the Qur'an, then you, it means you can reject what Allah said. You can say that Allah Ta'ala, this is not what happened, but he meant this. Are we all together? That's their strongest argument. Are we all together? Um, and that, inshallah Ta'ala, we responded to it in Al-Kitab Al-Waraqat. There's no need to go into that now, and this, this whole discussion for now. But that's their strongest argument. Rahimahumullah. And many other points they bring. They may bring other points to go for the majaz. Now we mentioned <coughs> that the Quran and the Sunnah, the default position is what? It's haqiqah, right? Literal. Okay, the haqiqah is three types. The literal is three types. The literal is how many types? It's three types. There's a haqiqah shari'ah. There's a shari'ah, literal meaning. The shari'ah gave this word a literal meaning. And once the Sharia gave a meaning to it, we don't go to anyone else. We just take it from the Quran and the Sunnah. The Sharia gave it a meaning. We will stick to what the Sharia said. Like the word As-Salah. As-Salah used to have a meaning. The Sharia came, it gave it a meaning. We, when we read the Quran and Sunnah, generally we understand the word As-Salah to mean the Salah we know in the Sharia. The Sharia gave it a meaning. Okay? It's a ibadatun, muftatahatun bit takbiri, muftatamatun bit taslimi. فيها دعاء وقراءة القرآن. This is this is what we know it as to be. صح. This now word الصلاة the Quran and the Sunnah coined a meaning for it. The second one is حقيقة لغوية linguistic lexical meaning. Okay. The language gave it a meaning. Okay. The language gives a word a meaning. Okay. So we go back to the language of the Arabic language. Um, and an example for that is 
um, uh, day and night. When you read in the Quran, layl wa nahar, you're not going to say, oh, what does the Quran and Sunnah, what definition did they give the word day and night? That's known by the language. Look at the language. The third one is urf, customs, and the people's customs and the people's norms. The norms gives, um, there's a haqiqah in the norms. You're not going to go to anywhere else, you're just going to go to the custom of the people. Like for example, the customs of the grammarians is that they refer to the word fa'il as the doer of the actions. That's their urf. That's urf. That's the haqiqah urfiyah. That's the definition they coined amongst themselves. That's their custom. The customs of the grammarians. Okay? And for example, in our religion, there are, what do you call it, things that the sharia restricted us to go back to the customs. Okay? Naam. The author, rahimahullah, concluded this chapter that we're going to finish with, inshallah ta'ala, with something very important. The author, rahimahullah, he mentioned something very important at the last point. He said, If the Quran and the Sunnah have given a definition to something, we have to take it back to the Quran and the Sunnah. وَمَا حَكَمَ بِهِ وَلَمْ يَحُدَّهُ اِكْتِفَاءً بِظُهُورِ مَعْنَاهُ اللُّغَوِيُّ وَجَبَ الرُّجُوعِ إِلَى إِفِيهِ إِلَى اللُّغَةِ And anything that the Qur'an and the Sunnah did not coin a meaning for it, but he gave it a ruling, but he didn't give it some meaning for it. But it has a meaning in the Arabic language. We go back to the Arabic language, which is the second. Something that doesn't have a definition by the Sharia or the Arabic language, then we go back to the people's norms. We go back to the people's norms. An example for the people's norms today is the word al-bay'u, buying and selling. We go back to the people's... Buying and selling is a urfi issue. It goes back to the urf and the ada of the people. Nikah, um, again, it goes back to the people's norms. The sharia just made sure that you can't do these things, stay away from these things which are haram, the rest is yours. Oh. For example, in some cultures, the women... She brings money for the wedding as well. That's urf. That's customs of that people. Sharia doesn't have anything against it. The nikah for those people is that. And in other cultures, the women doesn't bring anything. The men bring the money. Okay? Um, also, from things that go back to the urf, the customs is, for example, safar. The word safar. The Quran doesn't coin a meaning for it. And the sunnah, the language doesn't coin a term for it. And safar is just traveling and leaving your land. What is your land? What is the distance? You won't find that in the Arabic language. No, you find it in the Quran and the Sunnah. This goes back to people's customs. Are we all together? You read that word safar. safar. There's a ruling connected to it, which is uh, if I'm a traveler, I don't have to fast. Hey, what does the word safar mean then? Huh? What is the word? Safar mean. It goes back to. Uh, the custom of the people. You take it back to the haqiqa urfiya. Okay, it's a haqiqa urfiya. This is where a lot of people fell short in the religion, and that is by them going to uh, linguistic meaning when there is technical meaning for the word. And he's, he's talking about the linguistical meaning of the word is this, and he's applying that, when in reality, the, the Quran and the Sunnah have already given a meaning to it. Uh, or you're going to the custom of the people and you're giving the custom so much weight, but the Quran and the Sunnah has actually given a meaning to this. Are we all together? The Quran and the 
Sunnah have given a meaning uh, to this. So inshallah ta'ala, um, this is important. These top, this topic is very important. Um, I advise you all to inshallah ta'ala, uh, try to look more into it. The haqiqah shara'iyah in the Quran and the Sunnah. It's very important and it's very beneficial you learn it. Okay? I'll take questions, inshallah ta'ala. Anyone who has questions can ask. Um, and then we will conclude, inshallah ta'ala. <laughs>